0: Thank you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rydell. We believe that God still speaks through his word and his people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. be with you guys this morning as we continue in our series, our prayer series that we've been going through as a church, that we've been looking at uh, what Jesus uh, teaches us to pray in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, famously known as the Lord's Prayer, and kind of just working our way through this and, and trying to learn from Jesus how it is that we pray, especially in the moment that we are in here and now. A few years ago, I was making a hospital visit, there was a young girl with a chronic illness, and Uh, since she was born she's had several bouts in the hospital in the hospital and um, I went to visit her and visit and pray with the family and as as I walked in the room the doctor was walking out and I walk in the room and you just feel the tangible heaviness of the room and they had just gotten some really unfortunate news that uh, her health was declining and that if things didn't turn around quickly that her mother was supposed to start making arrangements. The young girl was 17 at the time. And uh, you walk into an impossible situation like that, I just gathered the family together and we just cried out to God. We just asked God, please, would you break in? Would you heal her? Would you move? Would you, Lord, shock the doctors, shock the diagnosis, God, do what only you can do. A couple of days later, I'm at the same hospital, this time for a different call. There was an older gentleman in the church who had a a young daughter who was in high school and his wife and he had climbed up on a ladder and he had fallen from the ladder, hit his head and at the time was in a coma. I walk in uh, to be with the family where they're gathered. I call them together, I ask them to pray. We pray, we cry out to God that he would continue to be a husband and a father and that that God would just break in despite whatever the doctors were saying and that he would come out of it. A few weeks later, I get a call From the girl with the chronic illness, she had made an incredible recovery. She was never supposed to make it past being a toddler, and today she is in her 20s, smiling and continued to shock the medical professionals with the fact that she's still alive. A walking, talking miracle. That same week, I sat at the funeral of the man who had fallen to comfort his wife and to comfort his young daughter who is now without a father. We pled to God for both. One was healed, one was not. We've been having these talks around prayer, but there's been an elephant in the room the whole time, and it's this. Why do some prayers go unanswered? And what do we do when it feels that sometimes prayer doesn't work? When we ask God for healing and healing doesn't come. When we ask God to return our our child who's astray and they don't change. When we ask for the diagnosis to be different, but it comes back and it's still not good? What do we do when the person that we've been praying to be a part of our lives doesn't come back? When the dreams that we had been building towards seem to fall apart? When what we've been praying for was freedom, but instead they relapse? The graveyard of faith is filled with so many who have been disappointed by unanswered prayers. And when we look to the church for answers, we're given sweet cliches. And I know many people who have walked away because of moments just like this. If we're honest, we're frustrated with prayer at times. We don't know what it is, the right formula to get God to answer our prayer. Do we have to pray with our hands up? Is it only in church? Is it a group of two or three where they're gathering his name? Is it if we pray the scriptures? Does the room have to be 74 degrees, right, whatever it is? And you get a prayer answered, and you're like, we got to do that again. Whatever it is that we did before, we got to repeat that, right? But it seems as though sometimes it's just sporadic, and there's not really a clear understanding as to why some prayers get answered and some do not. And so what is we? Tell a mountain to move, it'll move. If, if you come to those passages where, where Jesus says, anything you ask in my name will be done for you. And then there's times where you pray and the prayer is not answered. How do we wrestle in the tension? You see, many churches... Would like to just not talk about this part of the hard stuff, right? Let's not deal with unanswered prayers. Let's talk about when the mountains move and when God moves and when miracles come and celebrate and all that stuff. But they are neglecting massive portions of the scriptures and how we handle with unanswered prayer. I want to briefly jump to a life in the scene, uh, uh, jump to a scene in the life of Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 14. So Jesus um, is, is making his way towards the cross. And this is the famous scene in Jesus' life, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's making his way towards the cross, and he realizes what waits for him. In verse 32, it should be on the screen, says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. We see a window into the heart of Jesus and the pain he's experiencing in this moment. You see, Jesus is embarking on his journey onto the cross and he knows what lies await for him and he's overwhelmed with sorrow. So, Jesus asks his friends to pray to stay awake with him because he knows his moment's about to come. So, he invites his friends to come and to be with him in that moment of pain. And Jesus is so overwhelmed with sorrows, it says it feels like he's going to die. Have you ever been in a moment like that where you are so sad, it feels like the sadness, if it continues, will kill you? And Jesus prays a simple prayer God, Take this moment from me. Take this cup from me. And this idea of the cup is this idea of suffering. And he's asking God to take away the suffering that he will endure. He's like, anything is possible for you. Please take this cup from me. He's asking God to allow him to not go through this moment, to not endure through the cross, to not have this moment where he is to be crucified. Jesus falls and he cries out to God, for him to take him from that moment and he asks God to do whatever it is that he can do and he closes the prayer by saying nevertheless God let your will be done not mine and heaven says no and God replies with no but we pause in our mind and say time out This is Jesus, right? Like if anybody has the ear of the Father, if anybody gets special privileges, it's Jesus. But even Jesus, when he cries out to the Father, still has an unanswered prayer. Richard Foster says this of this moment. Here we have the incarnate Son praying through his tears and not receiving what he asked. Jesus knew the burden of unanswered prayer. He really did not want the cup to pass, and he asked that it would pass. Jesus himself knows the burden of unanswered prayer. Jesus knows the burden of unanswered prayer. Let your heart this morning be filled with this truth that when your prayer seemingly goes unanswered or unheard, Jesus knows the pain. But this begs the question, why? Why Why didn't God answer Jesus' prayer? Or better yet, why doesn't God answer our prayers that we pray? And honestly, the question underneath that is, how does this prayer thing even work, right? How do we get this prayer thing to work? There are three categories that I find that are helpful to answer this question as laid out in the scriptures. And I'm borrowing greatly from Pete Craig's book, uh, God on Mute, which is all about unanswered prayer. And this is our paradigm of unanswered prayer and there's three basic ideas and three basic categories that why prayer gets on why prayers don't get answered there's God's world God's will and God's war God's world God's will and God's war so let's take the first one God's world now there are some re- there, there are some reasons why prayer doesn't get answered and some of them b- belong to it being a part of God's world the first is common sense right we all come together for dinner. We're about to eat something awful, whether it's KFC or all subs chimichangas or like these double cheeseburgers, right? And now you're all hungry and ready to leave, right? But you're, you're, you're about to eat something terrible, and somebody prays, Lord, let this food be nourishing to our bodies. Time out, okay? That food, the deep-fried, greasy, is never going to be nourishing for your body. What you're asking Jesus to do is to change the molecular structure of the food that you're about to consume. Jesus, change this chimichanga into a kale salad as it goes down my digestive tract, right? And we're asking God to do something that's contrary to common sense right? So there's some prayers that we pray that are just plain silly, right? That God's not going to answer that prayer and change it to carrots in your belly, right? So you can stay trim and eat the bad food you want to eat. The next is a contradiction, right? So uh, a famous scene in this is down the street, there's a bride who's getting ready for her, getting ready for her wedding day. And she asks, God, please don't let it rain, And there's a farmer down 314 who hasn't rained in two weeks, and he's praying, God, please let it rain. To say yes to something is to say no to another. Right, for our sports fans, it's when your team, your team is playing, right, and you are a Raiders fan, let's say, and then you're blessed if you're a Raiders fan, right? But you're praying that the Raiders would win, and they're playing the Broncos, and the Broncos fans are praying that they would win, right? And so there's these two prayers going up to God saying, please let us win, and if God says yes to one, he has to say no to the other, and they contradict themselves. The next one is the laws of nature, right? And this to be, if you were to drop a brick on your toe, you say, God, please stop the brick. You're asking God in that moment to suspend gravity, right? To, to stop the brick from hitting your foot. Now, that in and of itself is what we would call a miracle when God breaks in and, and messes with space and time. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, That God can and does on occasion modify the behavior of matter and produce what we call miracles is a part of Christian faith. But the very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions would be extremely rare. So here's the basic idea. Are miracles possible? Absolutely. Does God do miracles? Yes, but they're called miracles for a reason. They stop space and time. Can you imagine if God answered every prayer where people were asking God to stop space and time when something was happening we would be in a world of utter and absolute chaos if just every couple of seconds gravity is all of a sudden suspended and we're all just you know because someone was about to drop something on their foot you see there are things that are against the laws of nature the way that God has uh, set up the world that work against so obviously miracles can happen but the fact that they're miracles means they have to be extremely rare or else it's just Tuesday The next is that life is hard. Here's the reality. We live in a fallen and broken world. Paul says that the creation is subject to frustration, meaning that the system is broken. And sometimes when we pray and prayers go unanswered, it's because life is just frankly hard. There are just circumstances and situations and that life is just hard and that's just what it's like here on earth in 2020. Now, obviously, a lot of us are very blessed, but if we were to be born in another part of the world or in a different country or in a different circumstance, we'd be really acquainted with the fact that life is hard. Suddenly, if the air conditioning goes out, you think the apocalypse has come, but there are brothers and sisters all around the world who are starving. You see what I'm saying? And so for us, sometimes you're like, God, please let the air conditioner work. It's like, maybe, or maybe it's just broken and it's time for it to get fixed. The next thing is Doctrine. Now, it's important for us to have what's called a theology of suffering, meaning what? Jesus says that here on earth, we're going to have hard times. If you got a pamphlet that said that was not the case, that's not from Jesus' teaching. Life is incredibly hard here on earth. There will be suffering is what Jesus says. But he says for us to take heart because he has overcome the world but that we need to have a theology of suffering that we have to realize as uncomfortable as it is, suffering produces in us fruit that would not come otherwise, right? For those of you who enjoy fitness, well, I don't know if anyone really enjoys fitness, but for those of you who are endeavoring to be fit, the gym, running, cardio, all that stuff is suffering. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're crazy, right? You're putting your body to push its limits, but what's the fruit of that? So that you could have better heart and a better body and a better health overall right there's suffering that produces fruit this is the same way in our spiritual walks that there are times that we go through suffering that only things that we could learn through suffering produces fruit in us not that that stuff comes from the hand of god but that god uses those things to produce fruit in us the next category is things that pertain to god's will right? And this is where all these wills are at play. play. Notice in the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew's gospel, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. What does that assume? That assumes that God's will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. It means that there are multiple wills at play happening here on earth. And so when we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking God to rule and reign here as he does in his space. And so what's happening right now is God isn't fully ruling and reigning here. There are multiple wills at play here. And so when we, ask, uh, when we ask Jesus to be Lord of our lives and we have this phrase, Jesus is Lord, this is more than a theological statement about the nature of God. It is a declaration of whose will it is that we are seeking to accomplish. When we say that we think Jesus and his vision for life leads to human flourishing, we're saying we want to align our hearts, we want to submit ourselves under his teaching into community to live lives that resemble his because we believe that his way, his teaching leads to flourishing. God's will is not the only one at play. We believe that there's at least four. There's God's will, there's human's will, there's spiritual beings will, and then there's nature's quote unquote will, right? So first is God's will, God's heart, God's desires are things that he wants to accomplish. There's our will individually, right? We have a will and we have a body to enact that will. And so do seven billion other people on the planet, right? There are spiritual beings will, or if the language you're more comfortable with is angels and demons, right? There's these spiritual beings who have influence and who have wills that they're trying to accomplish. And then there's nature's so-called will, which would be like natural disasters or like gravity, Right, that's nature's will is gravity. And so all of these wills are constantly at play in all sorts of different moments. Now I wanna be very clear here, not all wills are equal, right? It's not if our will and God's will are on the same playing field or if that God cannot overpower the will of other things. But however, in the world that God has chosen to have us live in, God chooses to partner with humans to bring his will here on earth. Simply said, it's this, There are all sorts of wills at play in any given moment. And God has the authority and the power to bend all those wills to his. But he chooses not to. And I would say he chooses not to for the sake of love. So the first one in this section of will, why prayers go unanswered, is because of free will. That God will not force a person to do something a person does not want to do. Simply put, I think love demands a choice. If there is no free will... There is no love. Simply put, God's kingdom is not a dictatorship. It's a partnership where he partners with us broken people. Now, you think that's a pretty bad rap for God, right? Because we're all a hot mess. But this is the way that God chooses to work in the world. C.S. Lewis says this. If a thing is, to be free, if, if a thing is free to be good, it also is free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united with him and to each other. In the ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man, on, and a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, they must be free. Simply put, it's this. For us to be able to love God, we have to be able to freely choose him. But to have the ability to freely choose him, we have to also be able to freely choose not to. Each of us has a will, makes decisions, and impacts the world, right, with all the decisions that we make. And so that's one of the factors in that God will never impede on somebody's will. He does, but it's very far and few between. For the most part, we're free agents able to move throughout the world freely, and so when we pray for the prodigal child to return home, right, we're asking God to bend their will. And that's just not the way that God, the way God works is through influence and through love, not through control and dictatorship. And so I think an easy way to frame this idea of being able to love God is um, imagine the relationships that you have in your life. Now imagine, if, imagine for a moment that the person you were with was programmed to be with you. That that was what they were made for, was to be with you. And they had no other option. And when they say, I love you, right? It's like, it's not real because it's like you're programmed to tell me that you love me, right? But what makes love, love is the essence of choice. It's that you have the ability to choose that person. I think that's what makes marriage so stinking awesome. Is that two people choose each other every single day. They say, I choose to love you every single day. We could both decide not to. We could both decide to bail. We could both decide to leave, but instead we choose to love one another. The next is influence. And I like to say this is like the, the, the situation is in progress, right? Some prayers go unanswered because God is in the process of changing someone or something. Meaning that God is in the process of wooing that prodigal child to themselves or, or, or walking with that family through that hard time or is doing things behind the scenes that we cannot see and he's slowly influencing things in that direction. And so we add, God, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? We have no idea what's already being done. As we pray for that person to be healed in the hospital and they're still in the hospital, what we're not seeing is all the different things God's doing to allow that person to keep their faith, to allow that person to keep fighting, and to maybe even hold things back that we were unaware of, that we were actively praying against, that we did not know. The next thing is that concerns to will. Sometimes reasons uh, prayers don't get answers is because it's not God's best, right? There's a famous Garth Brooks song. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are what? unanswered prayers. I wasn't going to sing it for you, so don't think I was. But I want you to think about something that you prayed for like five or ten years ago and that you thank God he did not answer, right? Like I want you to imagine maybe your first relationship in high school, middle school, and you're like, we're supposed to be together forever, and I just pray God, bring it back. And now you look back and you're like, thank the Lord he didn't answer that prayer, Right? There are all sorts of circumstances and situations that you can think back on that you thank God that he did not answer because it wasn't his best for you. That God's like, I get it, I really do, but you're going to thank me for this later, right? And as a parent, you could understand this heart. Right? When my son's like, Dad, please let me have more ice cream or whatever. I'm like, son, it's 9 a.m. or something, right? You're not having ice cream. Trust me, you'll thank me later when your teeth aren't falling out, right? At the time, I seem like a bad dad, but really, in retrospect, it's like I'm doing the right thing. In the same way, God is a father who loves you. And sometimes he doesn't answer your prayer because it's not what's best for you. The next is motive. Sometimes our prayers do not get answered because our heart is in the wrong place. If you want to see this manifested, I think you see this clearly in the Psalms. The Psalms are honest, gut-wrenching prayers from people to God. You'll see some of the Psalms where David is asking for God to break the teeth in the mouth of his enemy. Now, do you think that God's like, all right, let's do it. You know, no, not at all, right? But David is just pouring out his frustration, his anger to God, and that prayer did not get answered, right? But it was David expressing his heart to God, but what we see happens is often, God changes our motives while we pray. If there is somebody who is difficult in your life, the one thing I want to do encourage you is to pray for them. Your prayers are going to start like, Lord, have them be shipped to Nicaragua immediately, please, in the name of Jesus, right? You're, that's where your prayer is going to start. But as you begin to pray, God will begin to shift your motives. He'll begin to allow you to see them as he sees them. He'll allow you to see the situation as he sees the situation. And what you came in with a hard heart ready to ship them off to a different country, right, your heart begins to change. You begin to see God working in their lives too. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered because our motives are wrong. And God uses prayer to change our motives. The next reason is for relationship. Sometimes prayers aren't answered because God is inviting us in to draw closer to him. Sometimes prayer is our answer because God wants you to come a little bit closer. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to spend more time with him. He wants you to engage in the art of prayer to have that with him. So we can go to be with the giver and not just receive the gift. The third and final category for why prayers aren't answers is what I would label as God's war. The first is because of opposition. There's this famous scene in the life of Daniel where Daniel is praying And he's asking God to move in the midst of Babylon. And he prays and three weeks go by and finally an angel comes to him. And he's like, bro, you're three weeks late. Like, where have you been? And the angel tells him, sorry, man. We were wrestling with the Prince of Persia for the last couple of weeks. I was a little bit tied up. I got here. I left as soon as you prayed, but it took me a minute to get here. And then they just move on like it's no big deal like casual as ever, right? But what we need to have a paradigm for is that there is active opposition against the things that God is trying to do. There are spiritual beings and entities that are actively working against the things that God wants to have accomplished. And so sometimes when we pray, there's a delay. Sometimes when we pray, God's working, God's moving, things are happening, we just don't see them. And so for us, we have to understand that sometimes God is actively fighting against things to accomplish the prayers. The next thing is faith. Sometimes prayers don't get answered because we don't have enough faith. We prayed it, but we really didn't believe it. Jesus says um, he he was going to do work in a city, but he could not do many works there, the Bible says, because of their unbelief. Faith is always a prerequisite for a move of God. It is not always the only reason God moves, but it always is a prerequisite for God to move. Now, I want to be very clear. There are people out there who say that when you pray for healing and it didn't come, it was because you didn't have enough faith. And I believe that that's unbiblical. But there is a paradigm for us that we need to believe the things that we are praying and that is necessary for God to move, right? It's never negative back towards us that we didn't have enough faith because you just said, what, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? This very little bit, he can work with it. But we have to bring whatever it is that we got. We have to pray, bring whatever it is that we have and God blesses the rest. The next is perseverance. Sometimes some prayers aren't answered because we need to keep asking, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells his disciples, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And there has to be this persistence in prayer. So many times in counseling sessions, people will tell me, well, I prayed about it and God didn't answer. And one of the first questions I ask is, how many times did you pray about it? Well, once. He should have heard the first time, right? And no, there needs to be this persistency in prayer. We need to keep asking, as Jesus said. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. And unless God has clearly told you to stop asking, keep asking. This is a parable that Jesus tells about, you know, if it's in the middle of the night and you're having a party and you run out of flour, that you go to the neighbor's house and you knock on the door in the middle of the night, that the neighbor's going to get up and give you the flour. Not because he wanted to get out or because he's happy that you're there, because dang, if it's 2 a.m. and you're knocking on my door, you need flour, you must really stink and need flour, right? But it's that persistency, that desperation, that willingness to go and to knock. And this is Jesus' parable he's teaching about prayer and that we need to be people of persistence who don't just pray at once and say, well, God didn't answer, so we move on. But we keep on praying until God says, hey, it's not happening, or I shut that door, or no way. We keep on praying. We keep in persistence. The next reason that some prayers aren't answered is simply because of sin. Sin can hinder our prayers. You see, Peter uh, gives husbands a very stern warning in his epistles where he says that if, if, if we are not compassionate and understanding with our wives, that will hinder our prayers. There are things that we can do in our lives that sin can hinder our prayers. That we're asking God to move and to do these different things, but in our lives there's sin and rebellion. The next reason um, is justice. Sometimes prayers aren't answered because there's a blatant disregard for those who are in need. Watch, out, watch what uh, the Lord says in Isaiah 1. He says this, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop wrongdoing. Stop wrongdoing learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case for the widow. Here in this passage, Israel had neglected the most vulnerable in their community and were allowing them to be exploited. And God says, you think I'm listening to you when your neighbors are starving, when there's people who are dying, where there's injustice taking place? He says, absolutely not. He says, you cannot be a people who ask for my kingdom to come and frequently allow injustice to run rampant. He says, we need to be a people who seek after justice. Now, those are 15 reasons why prayers couldn't be answered. But I know that even those are sometimes insufficient. Because if we're honest, unanswered prayer is a very tender thing. You maybe have some that have come to the forefront of your mind that God has not answered. And it's a soft spot. It's a wound. It's painful. And so we are going to look at how Jesus prays in the garden as a model for us on how to handle unanswered prayer. The first thing we see Jesus, what's happened with Jesus, is it says here in the text that going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. What we see Jesus do here in the scriptures is what the biblical authors called lament. I like to say this is bring your pain to God. Now, here's what's interesting. One of the favorite books in the Bible is, right, the Psalms. People love to get some passages from the Psalms. But check this out. Over two-thirds of the Psalms are lament Psalms. They're they're Psalms where people are crying out, God, where are you? God, why aren't you working? God, why aren't you moving? Over two-thirds of the Psalms are lament Psalms. There's a whole book dedicated to this called Lamentations, where Jeremiah is grieving over what is taking place. What do we see modeled here with Jesus? When prayers go unanswered, the first thing you have to do is you have to be honest. Jesus was honest with what he wanted from the Father. He said, if there's any other way, there's a plan B, if there's a side road, if there's a back road, if there's anything that we can do, Lord, please let, uh, let let this cup pass from me. We have to first be honest with God. I think some of us are afraid to be honest with God when it comes to prayer, and it comes to being honest with him and letdowns. And that pulls us away. That we think just because God doesn't answer our prayer, then we'll just move on and obviously he's not listening. But instead, to come to God and to be honest with him, like, God, where were you? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you heal them? Why didn't you fix that? Why won't they just come home? And this is a model that we see laid out in all the Psalms. Don't believe me? Read them. Read Psalm 13. The first thing he starts off with is, is, where are you, Lord? How much longer? There's no pulling back. There's no reverent. There's no, like, you know, overly reverent talk. There's, There's honest, candid talk with God. Like I said, David asking, break the teeth out of my enemy. He's honest. He's raw. He's real with God. And don't think that God's in heaven, (gasps) you know, when you pray something like that, can you believe her? Like, does she not know who she speaks with? He already hears it in your mind, first of all. And secondly, he's your dad. There's this passage in the scripture where Lazarus dies and Jesus comes to to the tomb of Lazarus. And he's about to resurrect him, but the passage says that Jesus weeps. Now, why would Jesus weep if he knew he was going to raise him again? It's because Jesus is broken about the state of the world. He's broken about death. When we endure suffering, it's not that God is answering prayers in there, like with a stamp, like, approved, not approved, approved. God longs to bring his heart here on earth. He longs for healing. He longs for restoration. But there's all these other factors at play. So as a father, his heart breaks when your heart breaks. And he wants to hear the things that are in your heart. So first, just be honest. Lay it before him. God can handle it. He's not insecure. You know, he's not fragile. He can handle the contents of your heart. The next thing I want you to do is to ask, and to ask, and to ask, and to keep asking, and to keep asking, and to keep asking until you see God do something. Or until God says, no. And the last thing that Jesus does is he remembers. He remembers who the Father is. He calls him Abba, Father. It's basically saying, Dad, Dada. He says, everything is possible for you. He remembers the one into whom he prays to. And we must do the same when we come to pray, that even when we lament, we're honest and we ask, but we remember the one it is in whom to we, we pray. The next thing is what we call relinquish. Now, in spiritual formation language, it's called the prayer of relinquishment. Simply put, it's this, to leave behind with God. Notice how Jesus ends his prayer. He ends it like this. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. One thing we must learn as a community is this prayer of relinquishment. Richard Foster says this, the prayer of relinquishment is a bona fide letting go but it is a release with hope. We have no fatalist resignation. We are buoyed up by a confident trust in the character of God. I say it this way. Even when you can't see his hand, you can trust his heart. Even when you can't see his hand, you can trust his heart. Part of a huge part of unanswered prayer is relinquishing things to the Lord. It's what's, what another language is popular is surrender. It's this leaving behind with God. Now, don't think that you're just tossing in the air and hoping he catches it, but you're releasing it into the Father's hand, saying, you can do much better with this than I could. I'm trusting you because of how you've displayed your heart. I'm relying on you because of who you've shown yourself to be. I can sleep peacefully knowing that you've been faithful To me, it is this releasing into the Father's hand. And I love that idea of leaving behind. It's not that, God, I'm going to take it back at the second. I see you not moving something, right? Lord, here it is. Okay, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. I'm not ready to give it to you. But it's this leaving behind. It's this idea of you set before the Father's feet, and you walk away, and you entrust it with him. Now, here's the honest truth. You're going to have to keep doing this, because frequently you're going to want to pull it back for yourself. And you have to remind yourself, I've left this at the Father's feet. I need to leave it there again. And the last thing is presence. Now, we've talked about all sorts of reasons why prayers go unanswered. And we talked about necessarily how to respond when prayers don't go answered. We go with lament, and we go with the prayer of relinquishment. But what we really long for, brothers and sisters, is this. We long for the presence of God. When bad things happen, And I remember sitting at that funeral, and I remember thinking, why? Why do these things happen? And someone could have been there and said, Andrew, here are the 15 reasons why, right? It's, there's all these different wills at play, this, that, whatever, and those are helpful, and those are good for me to understand, but does it give you any sort of peace? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little reassurance that there's a lot of other things at play, but here's what we actually long for. When something bad happens, even if somebody had the explanation for you, that would not give you the peace that you long for, right? If you were like, why did this happen? They're like, well, actually, seven and a half years ago, right, they go through the whole story of why something took place. That wouldn't bring you the sense of comfort that you're longing for. What you really long for is the presence of God. What you really long for is Him to be with you. What you need... When you're praying and you're trusting and you're laboring and you're surrendering, it's not more theological truth. You need to be held by the Father. You need to be comforted. Bring your pain to God. Leave it behind with Him and rest in His presence. And then repeat and repeat and repeat because this is an ongoing journey. When I think about the garden, I thank God that he didn't answer Jesus' prayer. Because if he did, we would not have been reconciled to him. If he did, Jesus would not have gone and laid down his life and resurrected three days later and given us new life. We would not have the new covenant. We would not have the hope of the new future. We would not have any of these things that we have because of what Jesus did. Now, I'm sure at the time we could have reasoned with Jesus Jesus, I know you want to get out of this. Here's some perks we get saved, we get forgiveness of sins, we get heaven, just weighing those out, you know. We could have done those things, but Jesus wanted more than anything in that moment was the presence of the Father. wanted to be reassured of what was lying ahead. So as a church, I know that there are things that have been stirred up in you today. And my my heart posture is this, is not to ever sow any seeds of doubt, but was to press you into prayer more because you understand all the things that are at play here. To search your heart to check your motives and to continue to bring things to God but I believe that there are things in this room right now that have left unprayed or that have left unanswered there are things that you've prayed for that you felt that God hasn't moved on and here and now as we enter into worship I want to ask you to surrender these to the Lord I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and to begin to lead us in worship and I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me too and we're gonna pray the Lord's prayer together and then as we enter into worship, I'm going to ask you to take the posture of surrender and to just give whatever it is to the Lord, whatever it is, prayers that you have in your heart, whatever is it is burden and bothering you right now. So together, let's pray the Lord's prayer, and then we're going to enter into that time. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we lift our hands to you here and now. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.